Hello, and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm here with Matt Keller. Matt, you may know from the band Lydia, but he's also a producer who's worked with people like The Main, Somerset, his own band Lydia, The Cinema, Ann Arbor, and much, much more. We get to know all about his creative process and what he does out there in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, I think this is a pretty rad interview, and we touch on a lot of cool subjects in this one, so check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, Tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones... We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what's your chain for recording your voice today? I am a SM7B into a classic API VP28 into a TK Audio BC501, just like, you know, needle barely moving when uh, when I get really close to the mic. Very, very cool. I'm a big fan of that TK Audio stuff. So tell me about your background in music. Grew up with my mom. There was always a, a piano in the house, and she was always trying to get me to play it. And I, had, I didn't want anything to do with it. I started playing guitar in about third grade. You know, she was like, oh, I have a piano here. Yeah, but I'm going to play guitar, mom. I'm going to be in a rock band. <laughs> and, uh, you know, did that for a long time. Like, started doing the rock band thing when I was 15, 16. Local bands, uh, metal band. And then right around when I was 18, I was in a metal band. We recorded at a studio. And it was kind of a, it was, it was a dumpy little project studio, but it had charm. And, uh. And there was an engineer there, you know, and she she was cool. She she was a solid engineer, but it wasn't like her career path. And there was an intern mm-hmm. there, and he was just excited to be in a studio and meet metal bands. And I was like, that guy can do it. I can do it, you know? Nice. <laughs> so I called the studio obsessively, got the internship, met a whole bunch of cool people. And and then, you know, fast forward, some people were like, hey, you want to play piano in my band? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I had to learn how to play piano to be in their band. That's funny. <laughs> My mom's like, there was that piano in the house the whole time, Matthew. Ah, that's funny. Very cool. So t- tell me how that goes to you, rec- uh, develops to you producing bands. I started interning at that studio. It was like a call every day. Mm-hmm. Till finally they let me, you know, call. Finally, I was, I was a senior in high school and I called Friday after I got off school. 
and the the lady who ran the studio, she was like, hey, can you come in tonight, six till two? And I was like, yeah, I'll go in. Let's do it. And I showed up, and I I can't be sure. It was either f- the first or the second night, but uh, it was the night um, I interned, and Ann Arbor was there, who, you know, I turned out doing their record pretty recently, you know, full circle stuff. But nice. it was just, I interned there three, four times, and the girl who was working there, Jessica, she was about to move to Texas, and and the owners of the studio lived in California, and there was a, like a, a off-brand studio in Tempe, and the owner flew out to Phoenix to watch me run my own session, and at the end of the night, he was like, I thought I was going to take over for you, but I didn't. You want the job? And I was like, you know, 18. I was like, yeah! That's right. <laughs> you got it! You know, like all 18-year-olds, I had very little idea what was going on. I I had a basic idea. Like, my uncle had bought me this program called Cakewalk Guitar Tracks that had eight tracks. And, you know, so, you know, I was like 15 when he got me that. So I had the basics of of a Cakewalk software and the idea of, like, oh, I filled up eight tracks. Maybe I'll bounce those eight tracks to two tracks, you know? I didn't, I didn't know that was, like, a standard practice thing. I was just, you know, early computer recording. And the studio used sonar, so I was like, well, I know how to work this already. And, uh, you know, it worked out for me. I learned a lot. Very, very cool. So, um, do you have your own studio? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, like a lot of people, it's my house. Uh, when we first moved to this house, the I had a, I had a room in the back that was the studio, and you know, now I just, you walk into the house and it's the studio. The control room's the first thing you see. The studio's just eating the house. Uh, God bless my girlfriend for supporting me on it. <laughs> yeah, she's a trooper. She loves it. You know, she, you know, if I ask her to, she'll, you know, I'll ask her to and throw her the money for the grocery store trip. You know, she'll cook up a meal for everybody. <laughs> nice. That's very cool. Uh, can you tell me about something that makes your studio unique? Um, You know... That, that's the thing it's a like i said it, it it's a house that is a studio that's not mega unique and it's uh it's really just the experience of you know it's all very laid back i i really uh i really highly value people being comfortable and and not feeling like they're in a dentist office and not feeling like somebody's eye is on them and not feeling like they're on the clock you know i'm really big on you know, like I said, creature comforts, you know, anything they need, you know, uh, need a, need a back rub, need a shot of tequila. I got you. You know, I have a, I have a lot of cool, you know, I have a, uh, that upright piano that I talked about earlier. That's in my house. I have a Rhodes. I have a lot of cool instruments, you know, I'm not sitting in front of like a 1608 or something like that, but I definitely, uh, I have a lot of vibe and everything needed to get it done in a very nice way. Nice. Can you tell me, uh, what instruments you play? I started off playing guitar. I play piano, uh, organ. I play organ better than I play piano. That's weird to say, but I, I definitely like. I learned how to play keyed instruments on a organ on a Hammond M3 piano, organ, those kind of things. Bass. Uh, I sing. I'm a pretty decent singer. I don't like the the way my voice sounds recorded, but I can identify notes for you and sing them back to you and tell you which ones to hit. Gotcha. That's important. Yeah, um, you know, I, I play a killer tambourine. <laughs> nice. So when we talk on this podcast, we often say there's a scale of like the Steve Albini types who 
you know, may tell you your takes okay, but don't really mess with your songwriting. And then uh, John Feldman, who fully rewrites your songs when you come to the studio. Where do you see yourself most often on that scale? It, you know, like like everybody, it's it's conditional on the band, mm-hmm. but I'm, you know, definitely if Albini's a zero and Feldman's a ten, I'm I'm, you know, in the in the six to nine range, depending on the band. Like I'm not. I'm not like a engineer type dude, you know, I don't, I don't super get off on crazy mic techniques or this or that. I, I, you know, I'm, I just like really, I'm big on, is the song cool? Is the arrangement tight? Are people going to get bored with this? Do you actually like this, Mm. you know, type thing? I look back on so many of experiences where like I walk away, you know, when I was younger, you know, even, even more, you know, not when I was younger, you know, uh, when I recorded with somebody else and I walked away and I listened to the record that I did and I'll think to myself, you know, I knew that I didn't like that at the time, you know, but like there's, there's a certain amount of people holding on to their ideas that I'm guilty of myself. And, and I'm a big fan of pushing you like, you know, I, I know you wrote it. Like, will somebody else like it? Mm. And it's easy to like what you write. Mm hmm. So I'm definitely pushing people. What do you think you bring to records most often? I bring a lot of that. I bring a lot of uh, a lot of support. You know, I'll, I'll you know when if if I'm in the writing process with somebody, there, there's there's a lot of like me going, ah, oh, that's not there yet. That's not the year that. But at the same time, like the second the idea struck, I'm just that's the coolest. I get lit up. You know, I love it when when that idea is in the room and I'm just looking at the guy. I'm like you just thought of something really incredible. Let's Mm. kill this right now. Let's get it. Nice. What's a common mistake you see bands do before getting to the studio? We've all heard it. We've all been there. Uh, The band, you know, one guy looks at, I didn't know you played that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh man. If you just do do like the most simple demo process, you know, every, every single band in the world has somebody in the band now who has a version of Pro Tools or Ableton or Logic or whatnot, you know, it's it doesn't take that long. Just everybody do a simple scratch out of your part so everybody knows what's about to happen. Yeah, and then to, then, then everybody being uh, liking each other enough to actually sit and listen and try to figure out what's happening in their own songs helps. Totally. <laughs> so it's a really important problem. I mean, also, I see the opposite of bands coming in, you know, with that guy who does all the stuff in the band who just you know, they just record the shit out of it and they come in and they're like, no, these are our parts. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> you know, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that there's a, there's so demoed that there's no room for improvement, obviously. Yeah, for sure. It's almost like you guys should have just hit me up to mix it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think that, that that's a thing, a, a thing that cause that's the newest advent of this process for most people is that they're now able to demo so extensively people haven't learned that there's an art to maintaining that objectivity yet totally to not tear you know, to be able to be, to be ready to tear apart what you did and you know but at the same time to be ready to be like I'm glad we did that cuz that part's cool yeah yeah totally it's a balance what's a smart thing you see bads do before the recording or during the recording process i mean social media it can't be said enough when when I see bands sit there, there's when there's like a point person in the band sitting there, you know, Facebook and Twitter and doing the thing. It's, uh, you know, I feel, you know, I'm 28. I feel like uh, I, I'm a year or two past the bubble of like when everybody started getting way good at it and I'm trying to catch up. But it's so important to just 
social media. Show people what you're doing, you know? I see bands back there killing it, and I'm just like, you're going to get more fans because of it. You're going to get more reaction from your music because of it. It's it's funny because we, we, we get the opposite answer of this is just that they're more concerned with the social media than they are making their record a lot. I, I, I work in a lot of situations where it's one band member in my studio or two band members in my studio at a time, you know? Mm. So when all five of the band's there and there's one guy just killing it in social media, way to be a lot, you know, way to be working harder than the guy, you know, you know, in the unused tracking room smoking weed. You know, <laughs> yeah. like way to... Well done. Well done. <laughs> yeah. There's only one or two guys who are pertinent to the situation. Yes. You know, is that is a good keep point. Keep on working. I think it's also usually the guy who's good at social media is usually the one who also another band member is playing their instrument for them. Yeah, you know, and God bless him. Yeah, it's, it's true. That that guy that guy is just as important, but he's maybe not be that important to getting a good track. Yeah, you know, but he's a he's a career minded musician, maybe. Yes, kind of. <laughs> what happens when you and a band disagree about something? You know, when the, when there's a disagreement, first I'll voice my opinion. I'll be like, "Hey, what if we go this? Or well, what about this?" And if they're kind of like, you know, I think this is cool, then I almost kind of look at it as my job to to step back and go. What am I not saying about it that that they are? You know, I'm not this omnipotent knows everything that cool that is cool human. I'm just a person, you know. Mm. And there's so many viewpoints that aren't mine. And if this person like is is putting it down, they're saying, you know, this is my art and this is what I want it to be. There's got to be a reason for that. It's not. They're not. I'm not just going to assume it's it's ego or asinine. I'm going to like look into it and say, maybe they're right, you know? And so I'll try to find what I think can be cool in their idea and then work off of that. I like that. But every now and then, you know, there's <laughs> every now and then there's just something that's like as a person who makes records, like I know like that's not going to work, you know, mm-hmm. like when a, when a part gets boring and people start asking for panning effects or something like that. And it's like, no, it's because the part was boring. It's not musically engaging. I won't say that to them. I'm talking, yeah, about, you yeah. know, but it's, it's, if it's that far into the mix and they're asking for that, it's cause I already fought for it and lost. Mm. That probably is, that is kind of, kind of the case is that, uh, if you're at the point where the pan man from is busted out, that, uh, something went, some, something's yeah. probably gone drastically wrong. Yeah. If the pan man doesn't happen in tracking. Yes. <laughs> I like that. So let's get your feelings on some modern production techniques and, uh, what you think about them? Do amp simulators dash reamping have a role in your productions? Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm a big fan. Reamping, not so much. It, I mean, it's something I've done. Like in my brain, reamping. Uh, I I don't really reamp a lot of guitars. I reamping. I'll like reamp electronic drums. Like I'll put up a pair of stereo room mics and like play the electronic arrangement through them to get like get some room. Oh, that's on that. pretty rad. And a lot of what I do is adding like small electronic arrangements to to drums, you know, claps on the on the two and four snares type thing, just to like add some movement, you know. But I just I I, I don't want it to sound like a Katy Perry record, also, mm-hmm. so I'm conscious of those things. But you know, amp sims, I'm I'm a big fan of them, uh, just in the sense that you know, personally, like I think they're there. Like obviously, I'm a guitar player. I've played a bazillion amps. You know, it's a great feeling. But, you know, plug it into, like, S-Gear, the latest version of Guitar Rig or whatever. It's Once the mix is there, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to tell you that it's not a real guitar or a real guitar amp. And I like the ability to be like, ah, 
This AC30 sound is not cutting it right now. Let's switch to a twin reverb. Oh, there we go. Let's dirty up the twin. You know, there's 13 different options to get the sound you want as opposed to being stuck with your amp. Hmm. Nice. How about uh, program drums? You were just mentioning you do a little bit of that. I'll program in like small samples and stuff, but I'm a big fan of a real drum set. Like if it's if it's a real drum set, I will do everything I can to make the real drum sound really, really good. If I have to blend in some samples, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I'm not against that at all. Nice. How about, do you have some favorite soft sense? I use the shit out of Expand 2. Yeah, I'm right uh, there with you. Yeah, I've used that for about all it can go. Uh, Expand 2 in Lo-Fi, the Pro Tools Lo-Fi, that, that can take you really, really far. Beyond that, I haven't dived super deep into it. You know, it's, uh, I've got an Ord and a Rhodes and, and a piano, and I kind of like, I tried a lot to just, if I'm if expand isn't cutting it synthesis wise, maybe you want an organic sound and to mess that up a little bit. Yeah, maybe you take a Rhodes and you you put a lo-fi on it and you you know you take you get out the pan man you <laughs> nice. know? and then and and then you put a ping pong delay and some crystallizer and suddenly your Rhodes is a pad and stereo and everybody's like oh cool you made that sound without having to be a computer sound and everybody's stoked in the room. That you know? that, that that is a thing. I like that. Do you master your own records? I usually do just, you know, just for the longest time out of necessity, just because, you know, it's it's a whole conversation with the band, you know, you paid me this much, here's this guy for mastering, and I, you know, I, I deliver solid, clean masters, you know, uh, most of the stuff in my catalog I mastered, mm-hmm. but I'm, you know... It, there's a there's a band I'm doing right now that I sent off for mastering that I'm just really excited about in the sense that like I can mix and not have to spend so much time in the last five to ten percent of it. You know, not have to sit there and worry about oh, you know, track three has point five decibels more low end than track one, and you know that the the really technical stuff that kind of takes away th- from the creative side of things for me. I, uh, I, th- I think that's a good good way of putting the uh, w- the way that it takes up your cognitive space when you have to worry about mastering. So, how long do you normally like to take to work on tracking a song, and how long does it normally take you to mix a song? Tracking a song is really dependent almost on you know the the past songwriting question, like how long uh, if if the song's there, then you know if if say the whole band shows up in the morning, you know the the song will be done by the end of the day if the song's ready to go. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, you know, you gotta you gotta spend five hours on the third section of the chorus, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. Sometimes it has to happen. But you know, I I definitely like to move fast. You know, that's big fan of amp sims because you can get plugged in. Suddenly, ideas can start flowing as opposed to spending thirty minutes to an hour searching for a good guitar tone. Because you know, it's it's a thing. You gotta like get good. You can't just throw up at fifty seven and be like, sounds mm-hmm. dope. Let's go. You know. <laughs> So, it, so what, to get it get it a little clearer, how long do you think it usually takes you to rec- record a uh, song? Yeah, I would say about a day for tracking and a day for the mix. Cool. If we were to like really push push it, I would say you know two songs can be tracked and mixed in two days if you if we were really pushing it. But that's like let's not really delve into the arrangement and beat the shit out of the song. Mm. What's a good lesson you've learned from another producer? I worked with, uh, Lydia worked with Colby Wedgworth. Uh, he did, uh, one and a half of our records and he's just a really big fan of like, uh, if, if it sounds good, go for it. You know, like why there's this whole, you know, I grew up in like this, this punk rock world and there's this whole part of me that, you know, 
oh, of course we should do that, you know? But, like, if, if it occurs in your brain, of course you should do that, then maybe you should do that, you know? Maybe that's okay. You don't have to fight it. I, so that, I think that's the thing. The natural instinct sometimes is, is a, a good instinct. So tell me one of the best moments you've had in the studio. This last, uh, th- this, uh, I just had a lot to do with um, uh, the Ann Arbor record that came out. And it was just, the whole thing front to back was just a really incredible experience for me because it let me flex a lot of, of, uh, of ideas that I've been wanting to have for a long time. And the singer of Ann Arbor Slade, he's a really good friend of mine. And we just kind of like... Uh, we really put a hundred percent trust into each other. Like it was a really cool artist producer relationship, a lot of ways, because at the same, you know, if he was doing something and I wasn't feeling it, then, then he was trusting me to say like, maybe that's not cool. And if I brought up something he was not feeling, I'm trusting him to be like, Oh, well he doesn't like that. You know, let's, it was a complete, you know, and, and the rest of the band was coming in constantly and, and voice and opinions. And it was, it felt like a cool, band producing experience with a clear leader, you know, which, which kind of all about, you know, it was a, it was a very easy and fun process. Well, I think you just identified like two of the crucial things that I think go wrong in like recordings a lot is, which is one, which is, I think that when, you know, I heard an interview with Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park and as much as I'm not the biggest Lincoln Park fan, what I really liked that he said is that they take it upon themselves as a band to that when one person is uncomfortable to go through and vet that idea until that person's comfortable. Now, granted, they have all the time in the world and all the money to make a record, obviously. You don't have to worry about those things. But, like, it's such a good thing that you trust each other's instincts enough that you're like, yo, I'm up for the challenge to to do something that makes both of us happy. Absolutely. It's it's, It's a lot of hard work. Like I said, it's a lot of, like us going back and forth and, you know, let's take a break and let's calm down. And, you know, it, it, you got to really, you got to really fight for it because we're really, we were a hundred percent like, let's not leave till we're both happy, till we're both smiling and we can high five about it. Give each other a hug about it, you know, move on with our lives. That, that, that is so rad. And I think that sadly is, uh, so not done in music most of the time. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard to do. How about one of the worst moments you've had and what you learned from it? I worked with a artist. I worked with a band who the who broke up and uh, an artist. I, I kind of just started doing his solo stuff afterwards. It, it it started off real good. It started off a kind of similar situation to what I was talking about. We were, you know, it was a very clear situation. Like, let's make something really cool that that everybody's gonna like. You know, it's lofty goal, of course, but you know that's, mm-hmm. that was the goal. And and it just kind of it kind of got to the point where, you know, I could tell we didn't have the same vision. You know, he, he didn't necessarily want to be this dude who is the, the lead guy and everybody likes his stuff. And I learned, you know, it's to make a great record, the artist and the producer have to be on the same level. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like 300%. There are incorrect people for jobs. And I totally agree. Like, I think it's, it's not discussed enough how true that is. Yeah, it's totally true. Just like there's bands that don't work out and in, in most great producer artist situations, the producer does sort of become part of the band. And, and of course in certain, certain musical relationships just don't, don't work, you know? And, and, you know, at the same time, like, uh, you know, I described that situation, like it's totally 300% just as much on me because I, you know, I, I, looking back, I, I was headstrong and I was like, no, this is my idea. And, 
and not really stopping to think that maybe I wasn't being considerate of this person's opinion, you know, maybe I was, you know, kind of being an elephant in a china shop Mm -hmm. and it, you know, it's something that I'm always consciously, I'm never trying to step on anybody. I'm, I'm very opinionated. I'm open about it, but it's your baby. It's, I understand it's the artist that they're here to do it and I'm here to help them and they don't want me to be this evil person. Understood. So, Let's get into your tastes a little bit. What's a perfect record someone else has made and what about it makes it perfect? I got to say like in rainbows. Oh. It, it, just such a such an epic thing for me front to back. I I get really bummed out when you know somebody's on a Pandora station and one song comes on from it and the next song doesn't start and I'm just like what the fuck. Oh. But you know, it's just front to back. It's the whole. It's the whole ride of emotions. You know, there's 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 calm, and there's happy, and there's sad, and there's turbulent. It's a perfect example to me of like something that sounds modern and clean and crisp and punchy and forward without sounding fake and nasty and plastic. So, so let me ask you: Was was that the one of the first Radiohead records you got into? Oh yeah, that was my. Uh, that was for sure my intro. So, 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 so this I, is the, the, here. Here's my theory: If you got into Radiohead on uh, the records before that, you don't like in Rainbows. But if uh, you got into them on that, then then you love that one because I'm one of those people. I like all the records except for that and King of Limbs. Okay, see, I I'm like yeah, I'm a bit, <laughs> I'm on your opposite spectrum on that. I'm a big fan of those two records. Oh, really? I, I'm a big fan of, uh, I really like uh, OK Computer. Yeah, I'm yeah, a huge yeah. fan of OK Computer. Uh, Kid A, I can't listen to as hard oh, really? as some of the other ones, but but big fan of Kid A also. That, 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 that's, uh, that, that, I mean, it, it's funny to me, because it's for me, it's uh, OK C- Computer and then Hail to the Thief, I feel like. Hail to the Thief is like, here's all our ideas that we had after OK Computer, but done as good as we can do them. And then after that, it drops yeah. off, and then it comes back on this new one to me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things that I think it's always so funny is like music is a conversation, and, and even if the person did, who uh, came up with the thought first, it doesn't really matter. It matters where you join that conversation, and you can think it's awesome no matter where it comes for it comes in. Because I mean, for example, I didn't like Pablo Honey, and I was around for that. So, oh, we can agree on that. I'm yeah. not, <laughs> if I'd ever heard creep, not waving my flag for that yeah, one. If I had ever heard creep again, I'd be quite happy. Yeah, I would high five you about <laughs> nice. that in a, in a closer room than we're in. Nice. Um, so let's let's talk about your uh, favorite records in your musical growth. Give me five records that had a big impact on you. Like in Rainbows is definitely in that list. Abbey Road. Nice. Just when I when I you know my mom brought me up, my family brought me up on the Beatles, but it was always just like you know best ofs. And when I finally sat down, did Abbey Road front to back, just flipped my lid. Hmm. The Wall also Pink Floyd just completely blew me away. You, you um, are you're 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 a big prog rock guy. I, yeah, I, I guess so. I don't really think about it because you know, also on my list, I'm about to give you is uh, 808s and Heartbreak. Oh, very nice. Okay, you know, it's funny though. Is, though just... I feel like I say this a lot. Is like I feel like Kanye is like the first mainstream prog rapper. Totally. I don't even think of him as a rapper. No. He's a pop artist who just happens to rap. But I think he, you know, so much of what he's done from that record on has been a little proggy. And even yeah, even college sure. college dropout, it's like, and now obviously the last two are getting way more out there. Yeah. Maybe maybe entering his post the wall era if we uh, compare him to Pink Floyd, but like, it's funny. Yeah, I, uh, I got a uh, 
I didn't get it super into Steely Dan until after I was super into graduation. So I remember the first time I heard Kid Charlemagne, I was just like, whoa, <laughs> that's funny. How did, how did he find that? Yeah, yeah. So always that thing when you don't know the sample, you're like, you're like, this is genius. Then you hear the sample, you're like, this is a little less genius. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> give, give me one more. Also, uh, just on a more modern scale, uh, uh, Devil and God by Brand New. That like, that definitely, uh, was a, it's kind of like a, a mile marker. I feel like amongst people in a similar situation as I am. Yeah. Uh, just in like life wise, not like music wise. No, totally. I mean that, that, I think that record when it came out, it, it, it does a thing that almost all of us feel emotionally that, uh, get into punk music and it does it better than any record that does it. Absolutely. It was almost like, you know, I, you know, like I was, it's, it's okay to, to, to move forward. You nice. know? <laughs> I know you were into punk rock. It's okay to step forward. Totally. How about your three favorite producers? It's, it's always a hard thing. Cause like I said, you know, it's every producer is right for every band, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, there's not a ton of bands. I'm a fan of bands. I like certain records by bands. So not a ton of producers where I'm like, I like everything you've done, hmm. you know, but like, Nigel and Radiohead is just an unbelievable combination. Yeah, great. Obviously, they've just done things that that you know will stand the test of time. And and Beatles and Martin, that's you know no one can really top that ever. Two two of the best runs in producer uh, band relationships for sure. Yeah, but and by way of modern people, I mean, Nigel's pretty modern. But by way of people who are just like killing it right now, I'm loving almost everything that Justin Meldel Johnson's doing. He's been doing I'm, some great stuff. Yeah, it's you know it's uh, everything. He, he you can just tell that he's getting bands to like do things that they want to do. He's not trying to make them do crazy stuff. You can just tell he's like, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? Mm-hmm. Of course. I think that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I was even a big fan of his old band. Oh, which old band? Beck? Uh, no, he was in a band called I'm a Robot. And oh, okay. I've heard of them for sure. Yeah. I didn't know he was in that band. Yeah, I mean, the singer became Edward Sharp of the Magnetic Zeros. No shit. I knew. Okay, yeah. That's why I've heard that band. Yeah, um, that band to me, I would. Both records are awesome, but particularly also the mixes on the second record. They're very much like you can hear he was kind of developing that thing where like what I think one of the things he's best at is that he so many people are bad at squeezing in little detailed counter melodies they ruin songs by doing it he has such a good ear for doing that and uh you can hear that developing on those records is that those records are so good at that type of stuff totally that's really cool that's a that's well not totally like that's what I love about his producer like him producing bands is that you can hear you know, he's, he's like, there's they're the, the small little things, uh, that are, you know, the synth flourishes mm-hmm. right before choruses and, and, you know, the, the perfectly placed twinkles in between verse gaps and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I'm like, I can't wait to hear what, uh, else happens on this, uh, Jimmy Eat world record, uh, when it comes yeah, out. Yeah, for sure. That, that he did. I, that first single was cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm with it. So what's your favorite record of recent times and what inspires you about it? I'd have to go within Rainbow still. That was like wow. a, a mile marker for me. That that it really it changed the way that I looked at things in a lot of ways. It it's like you you can you can have choruses that don't have to be bangers, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do a Nirvana esque dynamic change to make you feel that way. 
because it's you know everybody talks about when Nirvana came out, they were like this big thing of like quiet verses, quiet choruses. You oh, know, well, it was a new thing. Live choruses, that, yeah. Was it, yeah, live it was choruses. A, it was a new. It was a yeah. new thing as long as you weren't a fan of the Pixies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, I grew that—that that was a normal thing for me. Is quiet verses, loud choruses. That's of course quiet verses, loud choruses. Yeah, that's totally. The, uh, you know, I guess that is, a, that so is an it, interesting thing. Is I guess that's a, a different generational thing. Is like that anybody who, like, you know, I was 13, 14 when uh, Nevermind came out. So like, that was a big change. But if you got into music after that, that's just like, oh, that's what songs do. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> it's totally. That's kind, of, that's kind of interesting because I still think of it as like a novel thing when it happens. So maybe that does something to me that's a little weird. Maybe that's what's making me an old fart now. <laughs> Which is totally a generational gap because when I have younger bands in and I suggest that they don't blow up on the chorus and they accept, you know, maybe keep the hi-hat closed on the chorus, it blows mine. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> that's so fucking weird. Uh, I never thought of that. That's so funny. So the last question is, what have you been working on lately? I'm working on an EP by a band called Barefoot that's uh, turning out pretty cool. Um, kind of like I, I got off. Uh, I'm in that band. I'm in a band called Lydia, and we got off tour with Paris, and which was a wild. Oh wow! Tour. I didn't realize you guys did that. That's awesome. Oh, it was crazy, man. They're, they're the coolest freaking people too. Like God bless them. Such cool. That's people. That's rad. And yeah, I'm a big fan of that record, off, dude. It, it kills. It's so good, and they're just they're just killing it on every level. There's not a single level they're not killing it on. But um, we got off that tour, and I just hit the ground running uh did two three eps now i'm kind of in a in a commerce spot where i'm just finishing up mixing i'm mixing one or two different artists uh my girl's birthday is next friday so we're gonna go up to my mom's cabin in heaver and you know take a week vacation live the slow life nice nice i'm excited about it If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can be also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.